trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hi there. Welcome to the show. I want to give a special welcome to those of you who may be encountering the show for the first time. I have it on good authority that uh, I have some good friends, none of whom I have slipped a $5 bill anytime recently, who have been uh, letting others know, listen, you ought to check out this program, check out this podcast. So if you're joining us for the very first time, I am so happy you're part of our growing audience. Why should you listen to this program? Well, it's going to sound self-serving, but uh, because this is an alternative to the fear delivery systems that... uh, have, uh, you know, heretofore been the uh, the primary ways we get information on the world. I'm talking about the mass media. And boy, did the mass media have a heyday yesterday. Now, I'll admit, I sat there and watched the events in Washington, D.C. unfold, and I, I wish I could say I was surprised. I do believe, you know, if memory serves, you can go back and check the archives here of, of my program. I do believe I, I had uh, cautioned that we were we were entering a very critical phase and you know the the potential for unrest was very high and yet i'm going to just throw this out there i have friends and i mean people i know personally who were there in washington dc yesterday and despite what you're hearing from the press i think the buzzwords are you know this uh, terrorist storming of the capitol blah 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 trump protesters you know attack the capitol Do you realize the vast majority of people, and I'm talking well into the upper 90s percent, the 90th percentile of people who were there, they were were just having a day in Washington, D.C. They didn't storm the Capitol. They didn't do anything violent, and they had no inclination to do so. But, of course, we know, you know, what's going to sell and what's going to push the agenda that, see, this is why you need us. This is why... You know, we have, to, we have to crack down. The authoritarians have, uh, have been pushing and pushing for a long time. And I, it, it, I, just, I guess I'll come right out and say it. While I do not agree with those who pushed their way into the Capitol yesterday, I don't think, that, I don't think political violence of any kind is any sort of meaningful solution. So let's just get that out there right now. But there was something that was also just a little bit satisfying in recognizing that since the first time since 1812, Congress was wetting their pants in fear because they were facing an accountability they had not faced and have not faced for a long time. Now, that doesn't mean that, therefore, I'm I'm, I'm condoning mob violence. But I think it's a reality check that that Congress has sorely needed. And the question is, are they going to get the message? My bet would be no. In fact, if anything, they're going to they're going to in the hubris of, well, do you know, do you know who I am? They're going to double down and they're going to probably start looking for even more ways to exert their authoritarianism. I expect pretty much anybody to the right of Mitt Romney is going to be targeted for destruction. 
either political, maybe career destruction. Maybe it'll be actually, you know, they're going to they're gonna come and start rounding people up preemptively because, you know, we have to do this just to be safe and make sure that nobody does anything extreme. I hope they don't. Because if, if you're one of those people who still believes that uh, what happened yesterday was really just about Trump, it was just about Trumpism and it was about an election, my friend, I say this as gently as I can, but you need to open your eyes. Stop hyper-focusing on elections. Stop hyper-focusing on candidates. And understand that what you saw yesterday was a manifestation of some long-term simmering anger that has been building among the American populace for a very, very long time. Now, you saw aspects of this taking place last summer. And I mean really violent, like burn down people's businesses, attack people, you know, kill people kind of, of violence. And it's curious, the, the press has had a very interesting, you know, uh, double take on this. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. In fact, I'll, I'll share a, cl- a clip with you from Dan Bogino, uh, Bogino rather, here in just a few moments that, that explains, um, you know, there's a, there's a very clear double standard at play here. But what I'm getting at is there is an anger in the American people that comes with the realization that they have been played for fools by those who claim to represent us. Now, I'm not trying to sound smug here, but uh, this is something I've, I've been paying attention to and seen coming for a very long time. I am not alone in this. If you didn't see this coming, well, I'm not going to tell you, told you so. I'm going to say congratulations and my condolences. Your eyes are now open, and you're not going to find it easy to close your eyes again. But it's a much bigger problem than simply Trump didn't win an election. And you better realize that because that anger is not going to go away. This is the first time I've seen people on the political right to the point where they were willing to say to hell with it. And to to make their will known. In this case, you know, unarmed protesters pushing their way past Capitol Police. I don't know what to say as far as, you know, I, it's not what I'm telling you. You should have been there and you should have been doing the same thing. But this is, a, this is a symptom of a much, much larger problem. And it's the disconnect between Congress and the American people. And if the last stimulus package doesn't illustrate just how blatant that disconnect is and just how, how far removed from the American people those in Congress are. I don't know what to tell you. I want to play this clip from Dan, uh, Dan Bongino. Sorry, I've butchered his name time and again, but I want you to hear what he was saying. I believe he was on Hannity's show last night. Listen to this. Listen, what happened today was not normal and should not be accepted and should be called out. And we have period, full stop. What we can't get into is let the left intimidate us and say, well, bringing up how we got here is whataboutism. No, it isn't whataboutism. You know what it is? It's asking you about principles that apply to both sides. And I ask you to do an ideological litmus test. If you're one of those people in the media saying, don't you dare bring up uh, Antifa and BLM, who I was accosted by outside of the White House, and they did nothing, the D.C. police, to help me and my wife as they were threatening to rape my wife, literally. I ask you to do a a simple test here. There was a courthouse in Portland that was under assault for over a month, was bombed nightly by a group that associates with the left, not that long ago. 
Do you think that would have been allowed to happen if it were a group of, God forbid, conservatives or libertarians? You damn well know the answer is no. Those people would have been arrested and tried immediately. Why? Why is that? Why was that allowed to continue for a month? And the answer is, Sean, because there isn't one guiding set of principles in this country. There were one rule for the left and the media and another set of rules from conservatives who call out violence anytime it happens everywhere and are saying tonight it is never the solution to our problems in this country. We have to have, we are a country. It's not a Parcheesi club. There has to be one set of principles that assigns, uh, it's assigned to both sides and we have fidelity to. And if we don't have that, we don't have a country. And if you're not willing to do an autopsy in this and find out and honestly critique where your role in this from both sides were, then you have no place in the argument and you should keep quiet because you're not helping. Wow. I mean, I think he's right. Now, I know for a lot of us, the, the question then rises, well, what can I do? What am I supposed to do about this? And I really don't have the answer for you. I, I just Look, if I had to sum it up into one single point, don't use violence to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. That doesn't mean you shouldn't defend yourself if someone else initiates violence against you. But don't be the one to go out there and initiate it. Look, the libertarians are a hot mess. <laughs> they, they are very fragmented and they have more problems than, than I can count. But that non-aggression principle, I think, is a very good place to start. Don't be the person who goes out there and who, who starts to initiate violence against other people. Don't do it. Now, when we come back, I'm going to share a couple of different things with you. Um, Shannon Brooks has a really marvelous uh, piece about uh, the division and how lack of leadership is what you will find at the root of this problem. Not Trumpism. Not just the questions people have about, uh, about a particular election, but how lack of leadership, and I'm talking long term. This is not something that just cropped up in the last four years. I, you know, with, with, with all due respect to my dear friends who are like, well, see, this is what happens when you elect somebody like Trump. No, your problem started a long time before Trump ever came on the scene. He's a symptom of the bigger problem. The fact that he ran as a candidate and got elected in 2016, that's a symptom of the problem. Lack of leadership is the bigger problem. We'll talk more about that, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. I have a lot to share with you today, only some of which has to do with the, the events of yesterday. You did see history in the making. For good or for bad, it really was history in the making. And there's going to come a day when you're going to tell your kids and your grandkids, I mean, you know, the events of 2020, that was a big deal. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be something talked about for many generations to come. But what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C. with people taking over the U.S. Capitol, forcing Congress to hide. <laughs> I, I don't think they posed any serious threat in the sense that, uh, look, these people were unarmed. I know Capitol Police shot one woman. I don't, I, from what I saw of the video, I don't think she was even the one trying to, to break open a window. 
She just happened to be standing there holding a Trump flag and took it around and, and, and she died. Three other people died of medical emergencies. So as far as any blood that was spilt, it was, it was government that spilt the blood. But, you know, there, there may be some legitimate uh, case to be made for what well, we were just trying to protect our charges. But you want to hear what's ridiculous? And, and this, this illustrates the mindset of those who are in authority right now and, and how they perceive people like you and me. I'm not trying to seize the levers of power. I'm not trying to seize the trappings of power. And unfortunately, that's what the crowd that entered the Capitol did yesterday. They stood there on the dice and they, you know, you know, made their pronouncements. One person walked off with Speaker Pelosi's, uh, you know, podium. They took pictures of themselves sitting in her office with their feet up on her desk. And again, there's a part of me that's, that's kind of like, you know, it's good to see Congress finally feel some real fear that maybe they don't control the elements like they thought they did. Maybe they are not omnipotent, omniscient, you know, respected beings who somehow walk a few steps higher above the ground than the rest of us. They got the crap scared out of them, maybe literally yesterday. But that doesn't make it right. If you are interested in liberty, if you are serious about liberty, I think Dan Sanchez from the Foundation for Economic Education said, you know, the... the, the the way to, to, to foment liberty and the way to promote liberty is to defy power, not to seize the trappings of power. I think that's good advice. So if you're wondering, what can I do? What can I do? Don't go, don't go looking for a chance to attack power. Now, keep in mind, politicians are very, very paranoid about this kind of thing. In my home state of Utah, there was a, a, cal, a, rally, a rally at the Capitol. It was a stop the steal rally that took place yesterday afternoon. And our new governor, Spencer Cox, recently inaugurated, who, by the way, used the language when people stood and lined the road going out to a Tuacon Amphitheater in southern Utah. That's where his inaugural uh, events took place. He referred to them as enemies. His words. He calls the people who are not down with him, who are not supporters of him, enemies. And so when, I don't know how many people showed up, it looked like there were several hundred people showed up at the uh, Utah State Capitol. There was no threat whatsoever. There was no violence whatsoever. I did notice, you know, at least one or two people um, carrying arms. And this is pretty common. This is pretty much every rally that I have attended there within the last year and a half. Somebody has been carrying, you know, a rifle or carry open carrying a firearm of some kind. It's, it's not a threat in any way. But, uh, boy... Governor Cox and and what few legislators were there with him um, initiated. They hit the panic button and oh, they had to leave for their own safety. And stop it! Stop acting like a like a victim who is under siege. And oh my gosh, you're being persecuted, Governor. That's 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 pathetic. I mean, come on, you deign to to exercise power that literally controls whether people can pursue their livelihood or not. And you've been very unafraid, at least as lieutenant governor, to exercise that kind of authority while defying the very same rules that you want to put down for others. Wear the damn mask. Just because you're seen as a hypocrite doesn't mean people want to string you up. So stop acting like it. And just understand, you are a servant. You are an employee. You're not the master. Toxic levels of self-importance. That's what many of these politicians are feeling. 
And it's that lack of leadership that has helped to cause the problem we face today. My friend, Dr. Shannon Brooks, sent out this email last night. It's an essay titled, A House Divided. He says, I don't think anyone would disagree when I say that the events of January 6th, 2021 at the nation's capital were disconcerting. When people breach the halls of government and in an attitude of desecration invade spaces and disrupt the workings of government, it is frightening. It is distasteful and uncouth, but it's also a signal of something far more sinister. It is a signal. It is a symptom of something much deeper and much more destructive. In Abraham Lincoln's 1858 Senate acceptance speech, what in fact proved to be a foreboding harbinger of national crisis, he instructed us that a house divided against itself cannot stand. That is the great challenge of our time. And Shannon Brooks says, yes, it is disturbing. It's unnerving to have a group of people force their way into the Senate and House chambers, even Nancy Pelosi's office. But this will pass. What will not pass is the division we face. If that divide is not healed, he says, the events of today will appear as mere child's play compared to what may be coming in the not-too-distant future. In Washington's farewell address of 1796, he gave us the recipe for political success and national happiness. Listen to George Washington's words. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connexations with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle, end quote. Shannon Brooks says part of the concept of religious obligation must be the idea of the respect and honor we should hold for each other as human beings, even when we disagree. When we lower our standards to no longer maintaining national morality, we open the door for widespread disregard and objectifying. Lawlessness breeds lawlessness. A year of rioting in cities all over America with few repercussions can easily explain why this happened at the Capitol yesterday, regardless of whether it's justified or not. You can't have a double standard. As a republic, the same rules must apply to us all. We abandoned law and order last year, and for months, Americans watched riot after riot destroy personal property, injure and take lives, and damage faith in the belief in law and order, while local mayors and governors stood by and, in fact, ordered the local police to do nothing. Shannon Brooks says, I don't want to downplay what happened on January 6th, but he says, I see the bigger problem as lack of leadership. And he says, I plead with the leaders of both parties to stand up and lead in the protection of human rights, lead in securing private property, reputation, and the life of every citizen. If there is no excuse for the actions of the Capitol today, then he says there is absolutely no justification for allowing the months of riots across the nation during 2020. Actions and ideas 
have consequences. And if we are not extremely careful, he says, those consequences just might be our undoing. I'll have a link to this in the show notes, and I would encourage you to check them out at thebrianhydeshow.com. Take a few moments to look over the other articles that are linked there. Consider sharing them with friends. And listen, while you're there, I'm also going to ask you to consider clicking on one of the two links that can allow you to either subscribe to the podcast, and you can become a donor through that link, or consider becoming a patron. Those contributions help more than you know. And they allow me to do what, uh, what I hope is make the best use of my time and talents as uh, my creator would have intended me to use them. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I do want to send some love out to my sponsors, including Alta Bank. That's my friend John Staples. If you are in the market for a new home loan, you should talk to him. Interest rates are super, super low light right now, and they will not stay there forever. So if you want to strike while the iron is hot, so to speak, I encourage you to go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Right at the bottom of the page of today's notes, that's January 7th, 2021. You will find a link that will take you directly to John at Alta Bank. Talk to him about what you need for a mortgage. This is going to apply primarily to my listeners in the Utah area. But hey, if you've been considering, you know, maybe getting out of a place where it's becoming a little too oppressive, come to Utah. Buy a home here. Talk to my friend John when you do. So I wanted to share with you a a little uh, excerpt here. This is from Tucker Carlson. This is Tucker Carlson's program last night on Fox News in which he reacts to the ongoing violence seen on January 6th on Capitol Hill, asking for clarity and reflection, pleading that the initiation of political violence does not solve problems, it never has, and it never will. Listen to the first few minutes of his take, because they're they're pretty good. Here's what he had to say. All day you've been bombarded with images of what has taken place in Washington. Too little time has been spent thinking about why. Anyone who's trying to understand the significance of what's going on right now ought to watch the video of the woman who was shot inside the U.S. Capitol this afternoon. In the footage, which we're not going to show you because it's too upsetting, but you can find it on the Internet, the woman is standing in a hallway right off the House floor at the center of the Capitol building. She appears to be in her 20s. She's got an American flag tied around her neck. The scene around her is chaotic. People are bumping into each other, yelling, trying to get through the door into the Senate chamber. Suddenly, with no warning, there is gunfire. You hear a shot, and the woman falls. She's been hit with a bullet. Seems like the neck could be the chest. Apparently it was fired by someone in law enforcement. People in the hallway scream. The camera closes in on the woman's face. She looks stunned. She is staring straight ahead, unblinking. In her eyes, you can see that she knows she's about to die, which in the end she did. The woman died a couple of hours ago at a local hospital. So what can we learn from this? It's not enough to call it a tragedy. Imagine for a second getting the call and learning that was your daughter. The last time you spoke to her, she was heading to Washington for a political rally. Now she's dead. You'll never talk to her again. Seriously, imagine that. If you have children, it will put you in the right frame of mind. That's what we're watching. And we may be watching a lot more of it in the coming days. Political violence begets political violence. That is always true. It is an iron law. It never changes. And we have to be against that, no matter who commits the violence or under what pretext. 
no matter how many self-interested demagogues assure us the violence is justified or necessary, as they have been assuring us, lying to us for the past six months. We have a duty to oppose all of this, not simply because political violence kills other people's children, which it does, but because in the end, it doesn't work. No good person will live a happier life because that girl was killed in the hallway of the Capitol today. So our only option as a practical matter is to fix what is causing this in the first place. We don't have a choice. You may have nothing in common with the people on the other side of the country. Increasingly, you probably don't, but you're stuck with them. The idea that groups of Americans will somehow break off into separate peaceful nations of like-minded citizens, that's a fantasy. That will not happen. There is no such thing as a peaceful separation. There never has been and there won't be. The two hemispheres of this country are inseparably intertwined. They're co-joined twins. Neither can leave without killing the other. So that's the first thing to know. As horrifying as this moment is, we have no option but to make it better, to gut it out. The second thing to consider, and it's related to the first, is why the woman who was killed today went to the rally in the first place. We don't know anything about her, but she did not look particularly radical. She bore no resemblance to the angry children we have seen again and again wrecking our cities. Pasty, entitled nihilists dressed in black, setting fires, spray-painting slogans on statues. She didn't look like that. The woman in the Capitol hallway looked pretty much like everyone else. So why was she there on a Wednesday? Why were any of them there today? We ought to think about that. If you want to fix it, you have to think about that. The only reason this country is rich and successful is because for hundreds of years we have enjoyed a stable political system. And the only reason that system is stable is because it's a democracy. It responds to voters. Democracy is our pressure relief valve. As long as people sincerely believe they can change things by voting, they stay calm. They don't storm the Bastille. They don't burst into the House chamber. They talk and they organize and they vote. But the opposite is also true. If people begin to believe that their democracy is fraudulent, if they conclude that voting is a charade, that the system is rigged and it's run in secret by a small group of powerful, dishonest people who are acting in their own interests, then God knows what could happen. Actually, we do know what could happen. It's happening right now. It's happened in countless other countries over countless centuries. And the cycle is always the same because human nature never changes. Listen to us, screams the population. Shut up and do what you're told, reply their leaders. In the face of dissent, the first instinct of illegitimate leadership is to crack down on the population. But crackdowns never make it better. Instead, they always make the country more volatile and more dangerous. The people in charge really understand that. They don't want to. They don't care to learn or listen because all of this conversation is a referendum on them and their leadership. So they clamp down harder. Obey, I tell you, obey. This is the Romanov program. It ends badly every single time. But that doesn't mean they won't try it again. Of course they will, because it's their nature. It's how we got here in the first place. Millions of Americans sincerely believe the last election was fake. You can dismiss them as crazy. You can call them conspiracy theorists. You can kick them off Twitter. But that won't change their minds. Rather than trying to change their minds, to convince them and reassure them that the system is real, that the democracy works, as you would do if you cared about the country or the people who live here, our new leaders will try to silence them. 
What happened today will be used by the people taking power to justify stripping you of the rights you were born with as an American. Your right to speak without being censored. Your right to assemble, to not be spied upon, to make a living, to defend your family most critically. These are the most basic and ancient freedoms that we have. They're why we live here in the first place. They're why we're proud to be Americans. They're what make us different. And they're all now in peril. When thousands of your countrymen storm the Capitol building, you don't have to like it. We don't. You can be horrified by the violence. And as we said, and we'll say it again, we are horrified. It's wrong. But if you don't bother to pause and learn a single thing from it, from your citizens storming your Capitol building, then you're a fool. You lack wisdom and you lack self-awareness. You have no place running a country. We got to this sad, chaotic day for a reason. It is not your fault. It is their fault. Wow. I agree with a lot of what he said there. I don't, I don't agree with him on the idea that peaceful separation isn't possible because I really believe that's, that's one avenue that we're going to have to consider. Unless, of course, we would just rather let's settle this in the street like men. Grab your assault rifle and let's go to it. I don't want to see it come to that. But I appreciate Tucker Carlson and others who are, are pointing out what a lot of people don't want to admit. And I, look, I get it. It is so much easier to virtue signal on social media. Um, I saw I saw more people yesterday say, that's it. I am stepping away from social media entirely. I got to pull the plug. This is the only way I'm going to keep my sanity. I've explained before on this program. I get it. That that false high, that sense of of. Uh, not just superiority, but that sense of just personal righteousness by being against something. I am against violence. I am against badness. I'm against things that hurt people's feelings. Well, whoopee for you. That's great. Most of us are against those very same things. But if you really want to impress me, in fact, if you want to inspire me, as in, show me something that is worth changing my life or changing my thinking over? Tell me what you stand for. See, and at that point, the virtue signalers start doing a really good impression of a brook trout. They just kind of sit there, big-eyed, like, I, uh, they, they, they don't even know. Don't be one of those people. I know, that, that, that sense of superiority that comes from, well, I've lectured people on social media today, and so <laughs> I have set everybody straight about what is right and what is wrong. That's great, but you have your reward. And it's that, that sense of self-satisfaction. You haven't changed the world in any way. You know, except maybe giving yourself a charley horse trying to pat yourself on the back. You want to really make a difference? Try living your life as a good person. Now, I'm going to warn you, it's hard. It takes effort. And believe it or not, people will actually question you. They will question your motives. What makes you think you're so good? Not that you're trying to tell them you're not as good as me, but just simply because you're showing by your example there's a better way to do things, and I don't know why, but it just pisses them off. Maybe because they realize their own shortcomings are a little more apparent, even if it's just in their own minds. But it's always going to be harder to be the person who lives as a decent person, treats other people with respect and with love. Be that person. Don't just be the person who's against something. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So I'm realizing in the last segment, I'm sitting here telling people, you know, you who grandstand against this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then I sat there and grandstanded. So my apologies. Look, I'm a work in progress. But I want you to understand something. There, there is more than just simply the desire for political domination that motivates why I do what I do, why I stand for what I stand for. Underlying everything that I do is a belief that liberty matters, not just mine, but yours as well. In fact, it underlies every single one of the issues we're currently facing. So with all the emoting, all the political grandstanding taking place, it's kind of easy to forget what's really at stake. And I appreciate Judge Napolitano spelling out the presumption of liberty. You'll find a link to this in the show notes. This is a really great essay. He says, The concept of personal liberty is that our rights come from our humanity. If you believe in a supreme being, as I do, and he says, and as the Declaration of Independence presupposes, then he says you acknowledge these rights as a gift from the Creator. If you doubt or reject the existence of a supreme being, you can still accept the personal origin of these rights. Humans are rational beings, and the essence of natural rights is the exercise of reason to seek the truth. The individual employment of unimpeded reason is the exercise of a natural right. So he says, either way, whether divinely created or humanly adapted, under the natural law, our rights come from within us. This is not a mere academic argument. Rather, it has profound everyday consequences. A right is an unconditional claim against all others that does not require validation or approval. Thus, your right to the freedom of speech enables you to think what you wish and say what you think and publish what you say. Nature, or as Thomas Jefferson said, nature's God has given you that right. And he says the origin of natural rights is self-evident. How is it self-evident that our rights are natural and not governmental in origin? Because we have them in the absence of government. Thus, when government, whether by legislation or executive command, purports to interfere with your natural rights, it does moral violence to you. The framers of the Constitution, who had suffered such violence under British rule, understood this and provided for protection against government assaults upon natural rights. That protection is called due process. Now, this is a complex area of the law, yet reduced to its essence. It means that the government can only interfere with life, liberty, and property after a fair trial, before a neutral judge and jury at which the government must prove fault on the part of the person whose life or property it wants or whose liberties it seeks to curtail. He says, I offer this primer to address a troubling issue now facing Americans, voluntary servitude. After nine months of the COVID-19 pandemic-induced experiment in totalitarian-leaning governments, many of us still live in cities or states where, to paraphrase University of Sydney professor John Keane, the popularly attractive exercise of arbitrary power has produced a level of comfort in popular compliance. And this comfortable compliance is voluntary servitude. Stated differently, the government and its medical personnel have scared the daylights out of so many people that they take comfort in complying with the government commands to stay home, shut their businesses, and socially distance. This voluntary servitude is a pernicious evil, as it encourages those in power to continue to trample natural rights. 
And the more those in power get away with rights trampling, the more common it will become and the more folks will accept it. The 13th Amendment, which was enacted to abolish slavery, only prohibits involuntary servitude. Its drafters and ratifiers never imagined this voluntary version. Among the rights most severely restricted today are those of assembly, travel, and commercial intercourse. And none of these restrictions has come about through popularly enacted legislation. All have come about through unlawful and unconstitutional executive commands. Last week, a federal judge in upstate New York became the first in the nation to order a governor to produce hard evidence to justify his closures of businesses, particularly restaurants. Lamentably, lamentably rather, the governor's own evidence revealed that 35 times more people have been infected with COVID-19 while in their homes than by the patronage of restaurants. Napolitano says, I applaud this judge. He is skeptical of government commands and is moving in the direction of human freedom. But he has largely missed the point. The point is that freedom is the default position because we are born with the right to exercise it. Government can only interfere with personal freedom, not by demonstrating the evidentiary basis for its commands, but by proving wrongness on the part of the people whose freedoms it wants to curtail. He says the exercise of a natural right, so long as it does not nullify another's natural right, simply can never be wrong. When government interferes with natural rights outside of due process, it fails its obligation to uphold the Constitution. And when governors and mayors use the power of the state to interfere with rights that are guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, they explicitly violate federal law and expose themselves to federal prosecution. Government is essentially the negation of liberty. What liberties may government morally negate? Well, he says it may only interfere with the liberty of a person who has nullified someone else's natural rights. Suppose the rights nullifier is the government itself. When that happens, according to Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence, it is the duty of the people to alter or abolish the government. That's where we are today. At the beginning of 2021, we live under governments that not only fail to protect personal liberties, but not, they not only fail to recognize their validity and primacy, but actively assault them. And these assaults have been accompanied sometimes by soothing and sometimes terrifying scientific-sounding language, which has induced voluntary servitude. He says the danger of voluntary servitude cannot be overstated. When accepted by the masses, it will make the exercise of personal liberties the exception rather than the norm. And it will take the personal courage and public sacrifice of revolutionaries to resist it. He's not talking about storm in the Capitol, by the way. He says the only reason we even have a modicum of personal liberty today is because of the determined and often unpopular men and women who refused to surrender their natural rights. Where are courage and sacrifice when we need them? <clears throat> this is going to make some people mad, but I'm going to tell you that last part. The only reason we have even a modicum of personal liberty today is because of the determined, often unpopular men and women who refused to surrender their natural rights. Ammon Bundy. Actually, Ammon Bundy and Lavoy Finicum, two names that immediately popped into my head when I read that. Were they unpopular? You're darn right. Still are with a lot of people. But they refused to surrender their natural rights. Unfortunately, in Lavoy Finicum's case, it cost him his, his life. 
and I don't say this lightly, I think Lavoie would have, have agreed. In fact, I, I know he said some things are worth more than life itself. Liberty is one of those things. So though his life may have been taken from him, I don't think Lavoie would have said, oh, it was taken in vain. What a waste. If I'd only known that they were going to kill me, I never would have stood up for liberty. He did it gladly. And my belief is that uh, even though he is no longer among us in mortality, I believe that uh, he is still very much anxiously engaged in the cause of liberty, albeit on the other side of the veil. I saw a flag yesterday that I think sums up where we appear to be headed. And it simply said, Trump lost, Biden won. Shut up and put on your mask. And I mean, look, I, there's, that's some of that great uh, political uh, you know, possession playing out here. That's, a, that's an occultic symbol right there. That says, I will dominate you. Do as I say. And my first reaction isn't really anger. No, my first reaction is to, oh, really? That's how it's going to be, huh? See, I'm not looking for an excuse to be violent. I'm not looking for an excuse to, to be angry with anybody. But when someone comes at me like that, I promise you, they're going to have their hands full. Shut up and put on the mask. We won, you lost. And I'll explain it to him as, as diplomatically as possible. Look, because your candidate, whether through legitimate means or by a technicality or maybe even by a little hanky-panky, uh, came out on top, whether it be by a vast majority or even a razor-thin margin of a popularity contest in which not everybody participated, in no way does that mean that I have given you my consent to rule me like I'm a barnyard animal and you can kick me and tell me what to do no matter you know what I think is right. Ultimately, I have the power of consent. And you better believe I'm going to use it. And if I don't like what you're pushing, and if what you're pushing is contrary to my natural rights, I will withdraw that consent. You want to have a contest of wills? You want to see who is more serious about exercising their rights? Let's have that contest. We'll see who's stronger. This is The Brian Hyde Show.